listening to the Bill Sunday School Podcast. If you want to turn in your own Bible to, to read along, which I always recommend, you could turn to John chapter 14, verse 5. This is one of the, probably one of the top five um, most quoted passages. John 14, verse 6 is one, up there with one of the most quoted passages of Scripture that is in the Bible. Um, it's a just a little sentence that says a whole bunch. And so I'm going to read uh, the verses surrounding it so we can get just a little bit of context. But you could read John 14, the entire thing later, and find out that Jesus is in a conversation with his disciples. So John 14, beginning in verse 5, Thomas said to him, so Thomas and Jesus are talking. Thomas says to Jesus, uh, Lord, we do not know where we are going, so how can we know the way? This is in reference to um, the way to heaven and that uh, the way of salvation. Thomas is asking, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And then this very famous verse, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Have you heard that verse before? It's a very famous verse. Um, it says a whole bunch just in one, one sentence there. In fact, it's the quote of today on your skillet. Um, and it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Jesus is clearly just declaring that he and the Father are one. That if you've seen Jesus... You've seen God the Father, this awesome statement that he is making. And today, all this month, is, is, uh, we're going to take on the topic of world religions. We're going to look at Hinduism, Islam, Buddhism, um, these, these three major world religions, compare them to Christianity. And if this verse is true, that's why I began with this verse, the verse where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If that verse is really true, then Christianity is, is completely different than any other religion on the face of the earth. Jesus is saying he is God and that, that he is the way, not just pointing away, not just like a prophet or teacher saying, oh yeah, do this, I'm going to be your guide. But Jesus is saying, I am the way, the truth, the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him because he is the Father. And so let's pray to God, to Jesus, the, the one and only right now this morning. God, we do worship you as, as Savior of our own lives, as Savior of the world. God, we worship you despite there being context of other religions, other beliefs out there, God. We do trust that what you said was true, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. God, we trust in you. We put our salvation in you. God, as we learn about other religions, shed light and truth upon um, the, the truths of yourself and who you really are. So God, we worship you alone. We praise you, Jesus. And everybody screamed. Amen. Nobody screamed it, but well, we're okay this morning. We're, no, it's, it's cool. It's, it's like springtime. So let's just calm down. Let's hang out. Um, so talking about world religions, uh, I thought I would preface uh, with the announcements first, and then I have a short video clip to show you, um, which, which will be pretty cool. But if you're new to the mill, there's these cards on all the tables just by way of announcements. I know if you're here every week, you hear this announcement every week. But if you're new, welcome. You've never heard that we uh, have little cards on the table. You could fill them out with some of your information as much as, or as little as you would like, and then give them to the nice people in the lobby as you leave that are behind the table. They'll give you a CD. It's a worship CD that we recorded uh, at the mill, which is our Friday night main meeting. If you've never been to that, come to that Friday night, 7 o'clock. And um, yeah, so that's the announcement. Uh, the only other thing, did everyone see the new, uh, the new notes that we handed out? 
There's like extra space on there for you to take notes. Anybody else like that? Did anybody else notice? Some of you noticed. I, I noticed that some of you noticed. So yeah, so that's so we have new notes. Uh, if you're new, you can fill out that card. But let's get right into what we're talking about today. Religions and Christianity. We're going to talk about this month has uh, four Sundays, but one of them is Easter Sunday. We are not going to have Sunday school on Easter Sunday. We are going to give that day off for all of our leaders and staff that, that do the Mill Sunday School so they could hang out with their families on Easter. So no Sunday school on Easter. It's at the very end of this month, but just a little heads up. So this week we're going to talk about Hinduism. Next week we're going to have a guest speaker, Rian Haynes, who is the missions pastor, is going to talk about Islam. And then the week after that we're going to talk about Buddhism, these three main world religions, and kind of compare them with, of course, Christianity, the, the, the religion that we believe in. We are followers of Christ. And so this message uh, today and this month uh, is somewhat offensive because today in our culture, um, to say that you have found something that is true and then therefore other things that say things contradictory to the truth that you found is not a very nice thing to say, is it? If you're like, oh, I, I believe in Jesus, I believe he's the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through him. That is a very mean, you could say, uh, statement. It's a very exclusive statement that says, oh, you guys think you're right because you believe in Jesus and everybody else is wrong. And that's a pretty bold claim. It's, it's, it's a claim that um, is, is sometimes, you know, people look at us as Christians and say, you know, how can you guys say that you're right? How can you claim that you have this you know, market on religion and you're right and so many other religions are wrong. And what I would first say to that is, well, there's pieces and bits of, of other religions that have truth to them. Um, we'll look at some of those things in Hinduism, but we would say, and we have to say, I have to preface this lesson as we as Christians would say that Jesus is God himself. He claimed that, and he claimed that he is the way to the Father. And so, Believing in Jesus, believing in the words that he said, um, we, we have to kind of claim that as Christians, that, that all religions aren't true, that we, we as Christians would not say that, oh, whatever's true for you is true for you, and whatever's true for me is in fact true for me. We would say there's truth, and the things that contradict truth would be a lie, or wrong, or not truth. And so, so that's what... Um, that I have to preface with that as we talk about other religions and ultimately say that there's truths in other religions, but to ultimately say the very uh, abrasive uh, statement that if there is truth, then the things that contradict that truth would be lies or wrong or not true. And so let's look at one more statement of Jesus, because when we claim that we believe in Jesus, we're not just saying, oh, he was a good teacher. He was pointing a way to you know, to know something spiritual or know something true, we would actually say, no, Jesus was God himself. He was claiming to be God, claiming to be truth the way himself. And so here's another statement in the book of John, starting in uh, verse, uh, chap chapter 12, starting in verse 44. Uh, when Jesus cried out, whoever believes in me, uh, who, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. And, and he often talks about the one who sent him is God the Father. Uh, verse 45, the one who looks at me is seeing the one who has sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. 
And, and, and we as Christians would say that there is uh, lies, there is darkness, there is incomplete truths in other religions. No matter how abrasive that does sound, but we would say that there is truth and that Jesus made these bold claims. We believe in his claims, not in a proud, arrogant way that we as Christians have found um, truth in and of ourselves. We would say, no, we, are, we put our full trust in Jesus and in the words he said that he, in fact, died, rose from the dead, had proof and evidence that he was who he said he was as God himself. So what I want to show you is a video clip. Um, It's the parable of a man in a hole. Maybe some of you have seen this before or heard this parable before. It's in video format. And then what you're going to do right after you watch it, it's like a two-minute video. Uh, And I would suggest like making, maybe making notes. There's like four, uh, I guess there's the man in the hole, there's three different people that come to him and then a fourth person that comes to him and to, to have this idea of like, what's the whole represent? What's the man represent? What do the three people that come to him represent? And then what's that fourth man? Uh, what does he represent? So this will be a discussion question as soon as the video is over. Cool? So you, you realize what you're about to do? You're about to see a video clip. It's a parable. And then you're going to discuss it at your table. So here we go. A man fell in a hole. He fell in a hole and he couldn't get out. A traveler passed by. He told the man to meditate, to purify his mind, and when he reached Nirvana, all suffering would cease. The man did as he was told, but he remained in the hole. Another man appeared. He explained that the hole didn't exist, and neither, in fact, did the man. It was all an illusion. The man who did not exist was still stuck in the hole that was not there. Another visitor arrived. He instructed the man to perform good deeds to improve his karma, and though he would still die in the hole, he might be reincarnated as something magnificent. Another man looked down from above. He taught the man to pray five times a day facing east and to follow five important tenets. If he was faithful, one day, perhaps, the divine would set him free. The man prayed as best he could, but he was losing strength, and in the hole he remained. something different about him. He called down to the man in the hole and asked him if he wanted to be free. This man lowered himself into the earth, into the pit. He took hold of the man. 
giant came into the light. And the man in the hole, who could not get himself out, was saved. Alright, so, uh, kind of a powerful story if you've seen it before, uh, or if you've heard the parable before, it's kind of a modern day parable. You might have some more insights on the, the different characters, but I want you to kind of form up if you just saw the video, and uh, into groups of some sort, just feel free to jump into a, to a group and listen to, to what they say, but there's, uh, there's four characters, four travelers, and then obviously the, the fifth one actually saves him. And so talk about what the hole means, and then potentially what each one of the travelers or visitors said to the man in the hole, and what worldview slash religion do they represent. Cool? All right, do it. Ready, set, go. Chit-chat. We do want to talk about, uh, get to talking about Hinduism today. So um, uh, to preface the... The man in the whole parable, does anyone at any of the tables want to share maybe something that one of the characters they thought meant, or just an insight that they thought, or uh, whatever? Yes, we got a mic over here, I think. Yes, go ahead. Well, anyway, the whole idea of the other religions was based on works and what we can do mostly to get ourselves out of the hole. Yeah. So the whole summary I saw of the movie was the fact that Christianity is the only one that has is focused more on grace and that nothing we do can be can make us perfect enough to just simply float out of this hole. The hole is still there. We need somebody to get us out. Yeah, great. Is there anybody else? Well, maybe a better question, or at least right now, is what do you think the hole means? What's the hole represent? Yeah. Sorry, we usually have two mics, so be patient with us. Yes, go ahead. All right, uh, we kind of talked about it being like the lack of spiritual truth, like, you don't really have spiritual knowledge, but you're kind of wondering, like, there's more to life. I'm not really sure what it is. And so it's kind of like represents the journey you go to kind of find spiritual truth. Yeah, it represents journey, maybe being lost, not sure what is truth. What else could the whole represent? Anybody thought of the idea? Uh, yeah, go ahead, and then I'll, I'll share. Deception. De- yeah, deception or sin or just this place that things are not good, things are not working out for themselves. And so uh, the video says that a traveler came by and said, oh, maybe you should meditate, and then actually uses the word nirvana, which is paradise, or to become nothingness in the religion of Buddhism. Um, Hinduism has a very similar idea of nirvana, but it's called something different that we'll get to today. And then another person comes to look down in the man in the hole, and he says, there is no hole, it's not there, you don't really exist, which could be uh, uh, a representation, a parallel of an entire Eastern worldview that could include, but is not limited to, Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, some sort of like Platonic, like, following of Plato's reality that this world isn't truly real, but there's a real world in heaven and the ideal forms or the New Age religion or Gnosticism or Christian science. Any one of those kind of worldviews would say that this world really isn't real. There is no whole. There is no human beings. You're not in a bad place because there is no bad place. There is no good place. Nothing exists. And then a third dude looks down and he's the Hindu guy. Did you catch that? 
because he actually says, uh, do enough good deeds or karma. He actually uses the word karma. And, and then you will be reincarnated in something better. And maybe you won't eventually be in the hole because you'll be reincarnated into something better and potentially someone else who is not in the hole. Did anybody catch that as well? And then the final, or the, not the final one, the fourth guy, did anyone catch what religion he was? Probably Islam. You know, meditate, or excuse me, not meditate, pray five times a day or three times a day, follow the five pillars of the religion and maybe the deity will set you free. So that's clearly Islam. And then the last guy that actually comes down in the hole, who's that? Jesus, duh, the answer. Um, and uh, if you were watching, the, the, the last clip was that the rope was tied around the cross. Jesus goes down to the hole. Maybe a little cheesy, but we see the parable working that Jesus is, is God himself who comes into our world, into our mess, and actually rescues us from it. And, and no other religion does God himself become a human and that human then saves the world by death. I mean, maybe there is a religion that's very similar to Christianity that would say that. I don't know about it. But most other religions, God keeps at a distance and just says, do these things and eventually you'll get out of the hole. Whereas Christianity does say that, that Jesus became a human being, fully human and yet fully God and rescued us from the situation that we were in. And so with that, with that kind of big view of Christianity to compared to other religions, let's pinpoint and what we're going to talk about today with the rest of the time is Hinduism. So we're going to talk about Hinduism in a nutshell. And uh, as I have, I've been to India just this last summer. Anybody ever been to India? No, but a couple of people, sweet. Uh, that is kind of the, the birthplace of Hinduism and where Hindus pretty much are uh, in this world, except there's, uh, there's a lot of Hindus in Nepal. Anybody ever been to Nepal? I've been in Nepal a couple times for missions and to go trekking in the Himalayas. That was fun. And then uh, also Bangladesh has a lot of Hindus. Um, I was there like on a one-day layover kind of thing. It was pretty sweet. Like we were told, like we were flying from Thailand to Nepal, and there's like this layover, like a day layover slash night in this weird little hotel in Bangladesh. And they took our passports, and they were like, do not leave the hotel. And we're like, dude, we have an entire day in a country we've never been to. We're not gonna, just going to sit in this hotel. So we got out. We like took a taxi. We, we got lost. We barely made it back to the hotel, then got yelled at, and then got on our plane. We were fine. So... Uh, went to Bangladesh. And then the other place in the world where Hinduism is kind of big is Bali, Indonesia. And my wife and I went on a honeymoon there. So I've been to like lots of different Hindu places where there are, where there is Hinduism, Hindu temples. And I can tell you that this idea of telling you Hinduism in a nutshell just isn't possible. Um, Hinduism is very, very different amongst who you talk to, um, amongst different Hindus, amongst different places in the world, even among India and the, the different regions of India. Hinduism looks very, very, very different depending on who you talk to or what area in the world you go to exactly. For instance, a very simple question could just be, what kind of religion is Hinduism? If you asked us as Christians, hey, what kind of religion is Christianity? Give me a sentence or two. You could say, oh, we believe that Jesus, the the founder of our religion was God, but we are a monotheistic religion, and we believe that Jesus came and died for us, and we worship him, and we follow him. 
like sentence over kind of Christianity in a very small nutshell. But if you talk, ask somebody what Hinduism is, they may give you very different answers depending on who you ask. Like for instance, uh, this picture, a picture of lots and lots and lots of Hindu gods, kind of like the cover of your uh, notes for today, uh, various representations of different gods hanging out and chilling. This picture, uh, there's like one big god in the front, probably a representative of three different gods, Shiva, Vishnu, and Brahma, Shivu, the uh, Shiva the destroyer, Vishnu the preserver, and Brahma the creator. Three gods kind of in one-ish. But then there's lots of gods behind that god. Like the greenish god is uh, Indra, the snakes above, the, the highest uh, part of the picture, uh, the Anat Nag, the, the snakes. There's an ele- If you look at the left, a couple to the left, like in the middle, there's an elephant-faced god. That's Ganesh. And right to the left of him is a monkey-faced god. That's Hanuman. And so you, you begin, if you, if you ever go to India or Nepal or these, these countries that have Hindu temples and paintings, you look for, oh, this god's holding this, therefore it must be this guy. Or this guy's green, so it must be this guy. This guy's blue, so it must be a reincarnation of uh, Krishna. This guy has an elephant face, so it must be Ganesh. And you get the ideas and the stories behind these gods. So therefore, you could say that Hinduism is a polytheism. It believes in lots of different gods. And so you're talking to someone and they're saying, oh yeah, we believe in lots of different gods. That's what we believe. And then you're like, okay, cool. So I get the idea of Hinduism. Then you go talk to somebody else, and they could say, no, we don't believe in lots of different gods. We believe in one god. And all the different gods that, um, that we have, or that we have images of, are actually just uh, representations or uh, like the movie that came out a couple years ago, Avatar. That Avatar is a is a Hindu word that means like a manifestation or appearance of something else. So in the movie Avatar, you know this this one guy gets into this machine and he's avatared into another world in a, in a form like those people that live there. And so just like the in Hinduism, there's one God, and they may call him Brahman or they may call him the Absolute or the Godhead or uh, something like that. That there's just one God and one being, and there's different forms or avatars of this god. So Shiva, Vishnu, Ganesh, all these things are just images or avatars of the one god. And so here you have like, one person could say, oh, we're polytheists. One person could say we're monotheists. And he's like, okay, well, I kind of understand the difference. And then you could talk to another Hindu and, and they may actually say, we are atheists. We don't believe that there is a god. Hinduism is just more of a way of life. And you're like, what in the world? How can one religion be polytheism, monotheism, or atheism? Well, welcome to Hinduism. Um, that, it's just, it just is the way it is. And so an atheist, or excuse me, a Hindu that says, oh no, we really don't worship a god, may fall into two categories to help you kind of get your mind around this. They could be monists, which they would believe everything is and everything is just one type of thing. All that is, is God. So you are, you are God, part of God. This building is a part of God. A table is a part of God. Outside, inside the mountain. Everything is God. And so you don't worship God because everything is God. Like it's just God. That, that's what monism is. It's just one stuff. Everything is God. Or within the, the Hinduist atheist mindset, you could be sort of pantheistic and say God is in all, which is a little different than saying God is all, but you could say like maybe all life has bits of God in it. So we have bits of God in us, the trees, the squirrels, the grass um, have bits of God in it. So we're not really worshiping 
we're kind of atheists because we believe that we don't, God doesn't require worship because we are bits of God, like God is inside of us. Anybody confused yet? Yeah, me too. Um, so that's just kind of, Hinduism is, as you get your mind around Hinduism, you have to get your mind around this idea that contradictions are okay and saying one thing in one situation could lead you to say something totally different in another situation and, and that's just, you've got to be okay with that in some way as you study Hinduism, which is a very different worldview, very different mindset than saying, oh, there's truth and the things that oppose truth would be not true. Um, Hinduism is much more okay with more of just contradictions being okay. And so th- even this question, what kind of religion is Hinduism, leads to confusion. But there are some central ideas of Hinduism that seemingly all Hindus can share. And as I was trying to put together this lesson, I was going to different websites, different books, uh, different Hindu speakers and teachers and podcasts and YouTube um, as they spoke about their religion. And I found that I was just getting more and more confused. And then I found this awesome, amazing site called Hinduism for Kids. And I was like, sweet. Finally, somebody's making some sense. And so if this, if this lesson comes across as, like, that's a really simplified form of what Hinduism really is, well, then that's because I got it off a kid's website. And, and so it just is what it is. Um, and, but I think, I think I'm going to provide four points of the central ideas of Hinduism. And I think it helps us get our mind at least a little bit around the religion of Hinduism, even if it is extra simplified for me. So the number one is Dharma. Anybody ever heard this word before? Not to be confused with lost and the Dharma initiative. Um, Dharma is a, is a Hindu word, a, a, a Indian word, a Sanskrit word that, that just means the code for living one's life. And so the way of life, a good way of life would be your dharma, the way in which you live your life, which could include, but is not limited to, respecting your elders, uh, the, your responsibility to get married in life, uh, meditation, knowledge, devotion, good works are a part of this life. And then, of course, at the end of your life, you're like a good Hindu, you're supposed to be cremated. And I got to witness some uh, burials in when I was in Nepal on the side of, uh, I forget which river, it's one of the tributaries to the Holy River in India, which of course is the Ganges, and, and they will like set a bunch of wood up right on the side of the river, and then, uh, it's a little gruesome, but they, they will lay the body of the dead person on top of the wood, and then, and then create a huge fire, the body burns, uh, it's burnt, everything's down to ashes, and then they push the ashes into the river, and, and, and so it's supposed to be, you're, you know, you become one with the earth or you enter into the holy river. Um, but that's, that's a part of Dharma, a part of a good uh, life of Hinduism is that you have to respect this way of life. That's Dharma. The other word you've probably heard before, maybe you didn't know that it was a Hindu term, is the word karma. Anybody familiar with this word? You've heard it. People use it. And the karma just simply means uh, it's the concept of an action or a deed. And so you could have good deeds or bad deeds, good karma or bad karma. If you do a lot of good karma stuff, then good karma will come back to you. If you treat people very badly and you lie and you steal, cheat, uh, you do bad stuff, then eventually bad stuff will come back to you because bad karma brings bad karma. Um, and so that's just the way it goes. It kind of comes back to you until you die, and which leads us to this next point of rebirth. 
And Hindus believe that there is a soul. We'll talk about Buddhism in a couple weeks. They believe there is no soul, which is very different in in idea uh, than Hinduism. Hinduism says you have a soul, and your soul is reborn after you die into something else on this earth. For instance, if you... Uh, do lots of good stuff, lots of good deeds, you live the way of Dharma and uh, live a good life, then maybe you will be reincarnated as a richer, more famous person in another life. And ultimately, uh, the, the best form of life, the most holy being that's on the earth is, anybody know? A cow, which is kind of weird to us because we eat beef and we, I think the, the idea is that they just see a cow as like something that's big and just eats grass and it's docile and just hangs out. It's like, oh, that's the perfect life. And then, uh, so, so rebirth, that's the idea. If you're bad in this life, you live a bad, you do bad karma, you don't live up to the Dharma standard of living a good life, then potentially you'll be reincarnated as a lesser being, like a poorer person or a person... Uh, maybe in another life with some sort of uh, physical disfiguration or maybe you did so many bad things that you came back as, instead of a human, you come back as like a snail and then have to work your way back up through doing good karma and living your life in such a way that you're reborn back into a human and you live a good human life and you eventually become a cow. Then eventually uh, this last point, uh, the central idea of Hinduism is something called moksha, which is similar to the the Buddhist idea of nirvana, somewhat, but uh, moksha just means that uh, you become one with God. Your soul becomes one with God. Moksha, that word actually means to be released, to be released from the cycle of rebirth. And so these four tenets, these four central ideas are throughout Hinduism. Anybody that's a Hindu would at least begin to talk about one of these ideas or all four of these ideas as pretty central to their religion. And so further, uh, we're going to spend the rest of our time, maybe you saw it on the notes, are the fun facts to know and tell about Hinduism. Because at this point, we kind of lose, like, okay, that's the central idea of Hinduism. We could talk about gods, we could talk about all different other stuff, but we may or may not be talking about Hinduism that's universally accepted as Hinduism for everyone because there's all these different takes on what Hinduism is. So I just thought, let's bring some fun facts about Hinduism uh, to the Mel Sunday School. Doesn't that sound fun? I mean, fun facts. Who doesn't like to know fun facts? So there's 10 fun facts, and these are just the fun facts that I've found. Uh, they're fun to me. So if you're like, oh, don't you know the fun facts of Hinduism? But don't, it's, it's just for in here. It's the things that we want to talk about that will hopefully give us a bigger picture of Hinduism so that we could wrap up today's lesson comparing it to Christianity and kind of the message that's, that, that we as Christians need to share to Hinduism because it, there's something missing, and we'll get into that in a minute. So there's 10 fun facts that we'll talk about pretty quickly, I, I believe. Uh, number one, uh, of course, it's founded on the subcontinent of India. Uh, India and the, the, the Indus River Valley, and it's very, very ancient, uh, like Polythea, Hinduism does come from polytheism, different, worshiping different gods, and then it kind of evolves and molds and, into what it is today. But uh, it's definitely related to India, and then right north of India is Nepal. Right to the east of India is Bangladesh. That's where most of the Hindus in the entire world uh, are. Number two, 
Hinduism has some of the oldest writings, uh, old re- oldest religious writings in the world, which is pretty cool. And it's this claim of Hinduism that, you know, often sometimes Hindus will claim that they have the oldest religion of the world. But let's compare it to uh, Christianity, of course, is a fairly new religion coming from Christ, who lived around 0 to 33 BC, uh, AD, excuse me. Um, but, but we, of course, would hold our history to the Jewish uh, religion and the Old Testament. We would say it's the same God. So, you know, we could, as Christians, argue that our religion predates Christ, of course, going back to the Old Testament. But Hinduism claims that they have some of the oldest writings, and they are probably right. That's uh, very close, but they have these Vedas, which are ancient religious writings coming from about uh, 1,500 B.C. And so they actually have the, the, we don't have the writings that are that old because they would be deteriorated by now. But we have this, uh, the idea that they were written down in about 1,500 B.C. Whereas Moses, uh, the writings that came from Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, came in about 1,400 B.C. So if Moses just lived a few years earlier, he would have the oldest writings. But then you're like, wait, wait a minute. Moses lived in 1400 BC, but Abraham, he lived in like 2000 BC. And if you remember from your history class that the bigger the BC number, the older it actually is, then we have a record of Abraham living in 200 BC. You say, yes, we do have that record, but that record was probably an oral tradition, not written down, at least that we know of, until Moses in 1400 BC. So the Hindus with their Vedas win as having the oldest writings, which which is more conjecture than it is fact but uh we'll give it to them they have some of the oldest writings whereas our writings came first from oral tradition and then were written down with moses <sighs> that was a lot of explaining but maybe worth it uh let's see number three uh hinduism is the third most popular religion in the world meaning they have the third most many people following the religion the first religion most people uh in this world what's the most popular religion Christianity, uh, second to Christianity is, anybody know? Islam. And then third, kind of a a far third, but not too far behind, is uh, Hinduism with one billion people being Hindus, uh, mostly in India, but also Nepal, Bangladesh, uh, Bali, uh, and then across the world. Maybe you know some Hindus at your school or have uh, talked to them. uh, I don't know, foreign exchange students or people that you know are Hindus, but it's just not as popular as, of course, in India. But it's the third most popular religion of the world. Uh, as far as world religions are concerned. A billion people, more than a billion people. That's a lot of people. Uh, Fun fact number four, let's talk about the red dot on a Hindu's forehead. uh, Could be representative of a third eye or a spiritual eye. And the idea behind that is, um, I remember when I, uh, my first time to Nepal, uh, I, I was severely jet lagged because when you go east you usually wake up really early in the morning if you know about traveling east and you get jet lagged and then you wake up at like four in the morning ready to go and so like i woke the first day in nepal woke up ready to go went up to the roof to watch the sun rise and hang out up there and then as the sun was rising all these people all over the town because we were in a hotel kind of looking down at these houses and other buildings i saw all kinds of people getting up going to their roofs and pulling out little like golden 
gods like Shiva or Vishnu or these other like gods with lots of arms or one arm or three arms or whatever. Arms seem to be a big deal in Hinduism gods. But uh, pulling out these little statues and then kneeling down, maybe bowing to them, maybe having incense sticks and, and moving them around the god. And then they would take red like flour paste and put it on the god and then put it on their forehead and then take flowers and sprinkle flowers on the god and then on themselves. And sometimes the flowers would stick to their head. And so sometimes you would see Hindus with like big globs of flour, red paste, and like flowers stuck to them. And you're just like, whoa, that guy. Um, <laughs> it's doing great. Um, but the other, but then, like, the tradition is more just to uh, have a third eye or a red dot. So women will, like, put a ruby or, like, a perfectly cut circle on their forehead and make sure it looks good. But the idea is, is behind it is the puja, the, this morning worship, or this idea of having a third eye or a spiritual eye. So if you see a Hindu with the red dot, that is, of course, what it means, a third eye, or that they have done their puja in the morning, their morning ritual of getting clean and worshiping their god. Number five, this is always an interesting one, the swastika, uh, which is, of course, we would see it in the West as, oh, that's the symbol of the Nazis. You know, the, the symbol that looks like the Nazi symbol. The swastika is actually an ancient Hindu symbol. It's a, the san- swastika is actually a Sanskrit or a Hindu word meaning good luck. And I remember the first time, I think I was in Nepal, and we went to a Nepali a Hindu temple, and I saw the swastika. And I was like, dude, look, the Nazis got here. And... <laughs> They put up swastika, and my friend that I was with was kind of jokingly, but kind of like, dude, you're so uncultured. That's not a Nazi swastika. The swastika actually predates Nazism, and Nazism took the swastika as as this ancient uh, symbol and used it to... Uh, as their symbol, as their flag. And so the swastika is actually a Hindu symbol and not a Nazi symbol, but the Nazis took it and kind of ruined it for everybody. Um, just like the sweet, like the Hitler mustache. That's, I mean, it, it, all things considered, that's a pretty sweet mustache. If guys in here had that, like, oh, sweet. But since Hitler had it, you would be like, dude, are you a Nazi? Are you a Hitler? Like, what are you trying to do? So they just ruined it for everybody, just like they ruined the swastika for everybody. Um, so anyways, a kind of a roundabout point, but if you ever see a swastika on a Hindu temple, or uh, we'll kind of get to this idea of Buddhism coming from Hinduism in just a second. If you see it on any type of temple, it's, it's not Nazism. It predates Nazism. Nazis stole it from the ancient Hindus and used it for their flag. So that's just a fun fact. Uh, number six, Hindus have many holy books. There's the Vedas, there's the Upanishads, there's the Bhagavad Gita. All of these, there's four other writings that I can't pronounce. There's uh, mainly their texts and poems about gods warring each with each other and so on and so forth. And then there's one book that may raise your attention. Uh, it's called the Karma Sutra. Anybody ever heard of that book? People are like, uh, no, I haven't heard of it. It's, it's like, there's a book in our Bible called Song of Solomon that's about like a guy and a girl following lo- in love and they kiss in the field and their her lips taste like honey. And that is like a G-rated Disney story compared to... The Karma Sutra, which is a very, like, uh, graphic, detailed, holy book that Hindus hold. 
uh, about sex, and it's about um, lots of other things too, but that's, there's a section in it that's about how to have sex without feeling anything, and how to get your mind outside of yourself, because in Hinduism, you know, to, you're supposed to remain a very healthy distance from any sort of pain or pleasure, and so anything you can do to kind of remove yourself from this world, including, you know, pleasures of sex, pleasures of anything, or pain, pain of anything, that is a good thing, and so, um, that's a fun fact, I guess. Uh, this one, um, which we'll get to talking about Buddhism in a couple weeks. Buddhism is an offshoot of Hinduism. I remember uh, going from Nepal and then taking a five-day jeep ride over the Himalayas to get to Tibet. And we get to Tibet, which is very Buddhist, Tibetan Buddhism. And I remember in a Buddhist temple, like seeing all the Hindu gods. I'm like, wait, this is Shiva. This is Vishnu. This is Krishna. That's Ganesh. He's got the elephant head. And the friend that I was with was like, dude, you're so uncultured. Don't you know <laughs> that Hinduism, uh, that, that Buddhism came out of Hinduism? At around 400 BC, there was this guy named Buddha. He was a Hindu. He decided to find a new path to enlightenment. And of course, Buddhism uh, comes from Hinduism. And then, so there's lots of parallels between Buddhism and Hindus, Hinduism because Buddha in the 4th century BC was a Hindu and then found a new way to enlightenment. And his followers are then called Buddhists. So that's a fun fact. Moving right along, number eight, the caste system that was outlawed in 1948. The caste system is this social stratification of people based upon uh, how wealthy or poor they are, and then you have to stay. If you're poor, well, then you're always going to be poor. Your family's going to be poor. You have to stay poor. And then there's even a lower class than just the poor called the untouchables that are extremely poor, that are just like the unclean people of the, of the earth. And they are that way because they must have lived a bad life in some pre existing life, that their soul was reincarnated as an untouchable, and so the handicapped, the, the disabled, the, the extremely poor would be in this class of untouchables, and you can't even touch them, you don't even look at them, you don't even consider that they're human because they're, they're such a low class, because they had such bad karma in a previous life. Which, by the way, uh, and we'll try to wrap up in, in a second, this idea that Christianity has a message for those very poor people. And the message is, you deserve that. that. That's not the message, that you lived a former life that was so horrible. But the message is, listen, we don't know why you are the way you are, being poor or disenfranchised or uh, disabled. But, but because the world has hand you, handed you that, because there is evil in this world, but there's also redemption, that you can, can get out of that hole, figurative hole that you are in. So we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. Uh, but number nine, the cow, I think we t- said this already, the cow is the highest reincarnated animal uh, in the world uh, th- that's living, and the one step above the cow would be uh, eternal joy, the moksha, the, the becoming one with God. But Hindus have a very high place for cows. They don't eat cows. If you go to McDonald's in India, you can get like 50 different types of chicken burgers or fish burgers or salad burgers. And you can get something called a meat sandwich, which I don't think has cow in it. It just has meat, whatever kind of meat that means. Um, I don't know. But, uh, but the, they don't, you don't eat cow meat in India or Nepal. Uh, you could eat yak meat or... Uh, chicken or fish or other animals, but you don't eat cows because they're the most holy animal. Um, and so that's, I think that's all I want to say about that. Uh, number 10 is this idea that new age. And so many of you are, are probably, maybe you do know, uh, unlike me, I don't know 
Hindus outside of India. I, I, I never ran into exchange students from India that were Hindus. I don't know too many people uh, that are actual Hindus. But living in America, I'm sure there are many, there are plenty. Um, but what you probably do know is you, maybe you even have friends, family members, relatives, that are wor- you work with people that are very much influenced by the New Age movement. And the New Age, uh, number 10, New Age is an offshoot of Hinduism. Whether they know this or not, or whether you know this or not, there's a lot of parallels between the New Age movement and Hinduism. So people that are very New Age are very spiritual. They uh, are probably do a lot of yoga. Um, and so this guy, I don't know what position that is, but that looks like it really hurts. Um, but it, he's doing yoga there. And if you do yoga in your gym, like you go to Bally's Fitness Center or the Y, and you do yoga, what you're probably just doing is some stretching and just like trying to cleanse your mind, not thinking about anything, clear your mind. It's probably not true, uh, true yoga because yoga is truly a Hindu practice. The goal of it, let me just read the statement. Uh, the goal of yoga takes the form of moksha, which is liberation from all worldly suffering in the cycle of birth and death, at which point there is a realization of the identity with the supreme being. And so if you're truly doing yoga, not just stretching at the Y and trying to clear your mind, if you're truly doing yoga in the religion of Hinduism, you are trying to like get into a position like this guy that obviously probably hurts and trying to avoid the pain because the pain really doesn't exist because you are trying to become one with God and to become one with God, there is no pain, there is no pleasure, uh, there, there is nothing else besides being one with God. So if you're truly like at the Y and, and your, your guru or your yoga, yogi or your baba whatever you call your instructor that teaches yoga like starts chanting weird things and tells you to become one with god and and weird stuff like that then maybe it's probably time to just go to like pilates or some other thing uh or just go jogging or something for exercise but uh if you're just stretching and clearing your mind i don't i don't know that there's anything wrong with that some people could argue oh it's a gateway into hinduism in which case i may agree but uh, truly, yoga by definition, by Hindu definition, is trying to become one with God, uh, getting into a position of pain or, or displeasure, and then not focusing on that pleasure to become one with God in some sort of religious thing. And so the New Age religion is uh, also hard to nail down exactly what it is, but it does have a lot to do with spiritual pluralism, which is taking bits and pieces of various religions or spirituality, and making them your own. So you could go to a church service, like a Christian church service, but then after that, go to a Hindu temple and, and worship, or then go to a yoga class and try to become one with God. Or then you could go down to Manitou and get your palms read. Um, just this idea that all spirituality, even though it's contradictory, is good and true. And, and so that, that's very much flowing from ideas of Hinduism. And so whether your friends know it or not, if you have friends that are very new age and spiritual, maybe they talk about karma, maybe they talk about spirituality, becoming one with God or one with earth or, or something like that, they're probably, either knowingly or not, very influenced with an Eastern Hindu tradition. So I think that's all I want to say about that because I want to wrap up with the good news, which is this idea that we began with humanity and this this parable of a man in a hole, that we as humans are not perfect, that we have 
false, that we have sinned, that we, uh, if you want to talk about bad deeds or if you want to talk about bad karma, we've all made mistakes. We've all done things that, that we know are wrong. And so what do we do about that? What do we do about this fact that we are figuratively in a hole of sin, uh, a hole of suffering? What do we do about that? And, and Hinduism would say, oh, there's karma. Just try to do enough good things and you'll eventually get out of the hole being reincarnated. Whereas we, as Christians, would talk about grace. And grace is a message that... that I, I like the words of, of Bono in U2, or Bono. Uh, in the album, uh, All That You Can't Leave Behind, there's a song called Grace. And he has. To, I, I put this up here, talk about this, just because of this one little phrase that I, I think is really cool and, and helpful for us. There's this, this phrase that says, Gra- uh, Grace travels outside of karma. It's in the song Grace. You can go listen to it later. And it's a powerful line in the song because while a Hindu is entrapped in karma and the way of life, dharma, trying to do enough good things, there's probably people in India that have made big mistakes like murder or maybe for you know, maybe they've injured or hurt a cow in their life or which is a huge deal to them maybe they've committed adultery maybe there's some sin in their life that they know they've committed and they know that enough karma can never outweigh that, that horrible thing that they've done so there's no hope for them they know that in the end they will die and they will probably be reincarnated as something worse because they've made mistakes in their life well the good news the message is that grace you know, in this song, that the line, grace can travel outside of karma. Grace, no matter what good deeds or bad deeds you've done, and we've all done enough bad deeds um, that we can think of that we don't know that our good deeds can outweigh those bad deeds, that, that grace is there to help those that, that can't make it with their good deeds. And if we are honest with ourselves and we realize what we've really done in our life and the mistakes that we've made, we will all probably agree that We've done more harm, uh, potentially, than good karma in our life, if we're really honest with ourselves. And so we need grace. We need God. And especially, the message of grace is so powerful to um, uh, people. That This is Mother Teresa, a picture of her. She, she died in 1997. I think she's on the, her way of being sainted in the Catholic Church. She was a Catholic. But she outreached to the untouchables, to the people that were not only untouchable, but the, to the people that were untouchable and dying. She, she ran sort of a hospice center for people that were dying that were also untouchable. And, and Christianity has a message for those people that, that they can still be saved. You know, that their people in the whole Hindu, Hindu culture would look at a disabled person or an untouchable and say, you deserve that because you did something bad in a former life. Whereas Christian, Christianity says, listen, it doesn't matter where you came from or what you did, grace is never that far away from you that you can't be saved. And so Jesus comes and saves us from our sin. The message of the cross is that he took upon himself all the bad deeds, all the bad karma, as maybe some would like to say, took it upon himself so that grace can enter our life. And what a great message for untouchables. What a great message for someone that's desperately trying to try to figure out, you know, weigh the scales of karma and good deeds. And it's like, listen, just accept Christ and all your bad karma, all your bad deeds will be erased and put upon him so that you can have salvation. That's the message of Jesus, the message of the cross to a Hindu. And so with that, let's close in prayer. 
And God, we do tell you that, that you are enough for, for us. We thank you that you bring salvation to all people. We thank you for being a God that does not just leave us in the, in the, in the hole of, of sin, in the hole of disparity, in the hole of lies. But you are a God who comes down himself and, and proves it to us by resurrecting from the dead and, and going on to teach about you and you are the way of salvation. So God, we do praise you. We thank you that there's truth to be learned, that there, there is, that you can come to us and give us salvation. And that is a true and an awesome message for us and for our lives. So God, we praise you today. We, we love you so much, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. All right, friends, we'll see you next week. We will talk about another religion called Islam. Peace.